Would you take your Bibles, turn to 2 John chapter number 1, because there is only one. I, was, I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> chapter 1. Now, I'm sure that many of you have taken the epistles or John's writings or whatever it's called. Second uh, and third John are probably two of the most overlooked books in the New Testament. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because of their proximity to the Revelation. Maybe it's because uh, they're short, uh, both of them less than 300 words. But they really cover some interesting and, and very important dynamics. John is basically writing in really all of his epistles, first, second, third John. He's writing against a group of two groups of false teachers. Almost every epistle deals with false teaching and shoring up the church and helping the church be doctrinally sound and doctrinally right. And John is writing against two groups called the Docetists and the Synthians. And basically what they say, the Docetists say, that Jesus was essentially a, an emanation or what you might call a hologram, that he wasn't a real physical person and he did not come in the flesh. Let me be real honest with you. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, you're not saved. So this is a tremendously important doctrinal issue that John is dealing with. And then he's dealing with a group of people as well called the Scythians. The Scythians were followers of a guy named Cynthius. And Cynthius came up with this bright idea that Jesus was a normal man. And at his baptism, the spirit of the Messiah came on him and left before he died or before he was crucified. Again, both heretical positions that, if believed, will send people to hell. Because only Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, only Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, all man, all God, in that hypostatic union, could pay death or pay sin's penalty on the cross of Calvary for the sin of mankind. And so John is writing that, and he's writing it with tremendous passion and tremendous influence as a 93 to 95-year-old man. The problem with false teaching is this, that it always impacts our daily life. But say, oh, you can be a false teacher and it won't affect you. Or you can believe a false doctrine and it won't affect you. Or you can believe a liberal position theologically and it won't affect you. No, we live what we believe. We say what we think, but we live what we believe. And so as John is writing here, he is writing to help people understand theology, number one, and theology that should be lived out in your daily life. Dr. Getz, I have one regret from college. And I really only have one regret. I loved my college experience. But I regret that I didn't study theology better. I feel like I've lived most of my life as a pastor trying to learn more and more. I've got some missionary friends that were here. They were in our church on Sunday. My library is filled with book after book after book of conservative theologians because I feel like I wasted a lot of time in college not getting the, the foundational theology that you guys are so privileged to get. And I implore you this morning to learn the word of God and to let it be a part of your life. So John's writing here, and it's powerful. Well, verse number one, he says to the elder and to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of my children walking in truth, 
I'm sorry, let me read that again. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, if you're in homiletics, there's a little bit of debate. Does the paragraph stop at the end of verse number three or the end of verse number four? If you're not in homiletics, you don't have any idea what I just said. Let me just argue with you that it's at the end of verse number four. You say, why? Because I want it to be there. And I really do think it is. And so, anyway, there you go. You may be seated. There are some things in life that make me happy. Some things. Not everything makes me happy. Some things I do, they don't make me happy. But some things in life make me happy. I've listed them to some degree in order of importance to me. Number one, my wife makes me happy. Outside of time with the Lord, I love spending time with my wife. I enjoy that. Time with my family. Sometimes that makes me happy. When my daughter Natalie and her sister Judith are arguing, I would rather be alone with my wife, but I enjoy time with them. Working out makes me happy. You say, really? Yeah, I plan all my weeks around our workouts. Like right now, I'm looking forward to Saturday because it's deadlift PR day. And I'm going for a new personal record in a deadlift. And so I'm eating and I'm resting all with one thought in mind. I'm going to set a new PR in the deadlift. How many of you couldn't care less about my PR in the deadlift? It's all right. Yeah. And the rest of you are liars. Nobody cares. I get it. I, I love, I really am happy when I'm joking around with men. I, I just enjoy that. Or ladies, I like that too. Hawaii. Hawaii makes me happy. Are we from Hawaii over there or you just want to go? <laughs> yeah, make me happy too. You can't be sure. Uh, Hawaii makes me happy. The beach makes me happy. I live about six minutes, six, seven minutes from the beach. Beach makes me happy. I just bought a great new boogie board this last summer. Boogie boarding when the waves are good and the winds are calm and the water is warm, which happens twice a year in San Diego. I love those days. Normally it's a wetsuit. I like football teams. It makes me happy. Football teams that still use a fullback. You say, why? Because that's what men play. That's why I like it. That's why I like Wisconsin football. They always have a good fullback. Um, I, I like this. I like a child's face when they come down a scary slide. <laughs> Even if they're screaming, it's still, I just love that. I'm just like, oh, that's really cool. I like that. That's really great. Well, John is writing here, and he's writing about some things that make him happy, and he starts in verse number one with a common connection. Now, I need to let you know, I am not an alliteration preacher. I'm a little bit nervous, and so I'm standing to the left of Dr. Getch, because as a matter of fact, I'm so bad at alliteration that if it accidentally would be alliterated, I'll unalliterate it, because I don't want our church to get used to that. One of our guys I'm discipling last night goes, hey, pastor, I was listening to some of Dr. Getch's messages last night from the Winter Revival on the, on the Lancaster podcast thing. And he goes, this is a great one. And then he read the titles of the messages. He goes, even his message titles are alliterated. He goes, pastor, you're not smart enough to do that, are you? I'm like, absolutely not. And that didn't make me happy. <laughs> we see verse number one, a common connection, the elder and to the elect lady and her children. I want you to listen to this phrase, Who's, whom I love in the truth. There's an expression of love and there's a foundation of love in this text. John is writing now. Some people are asking and, and some teachers actually try to 
digress to an opinion that says this supports the, the flawed theological view of Calvinism because he uses the word elect. But the elect lady, I would argue, and there is some debate about this, but I would argue is to a specific local church in, in specificity and then all local churches in generality. So it is specifically to one local church, but it's meant for every one of us to understand. And John is a 90 three 94-year-old man, and he is writing here, and he is saying to this church, this church family, all churches, but I think specifically to one church, and he says, I, I love to the elect lady, to this church, and the, the churches that are out of this church, whom I love in the truth. It's the word agapo, and it means to delight in. It indicates the direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. It's like John is an old man and he's standing there or sitting there and he's writing as a 95-year-old man who never got married. History tells us he never got married. He never had children. That he'd given his life for the ministry and he just is writing this church. And he says, I want you to know I love you, church, and I love the churches that you started. I just have this, this goodwill. I delight in what you're doing. I delight in who you are. Are, but he, he, he connects this concept of love to the next word, whom I love, or this next phrase, in the truth. The word truth means authenticity, divine reality, revelation. In John's writings, this is a impossible based on the fall of man. Man cannot know the truth apart from the revelation of God by his word. And so John is writing here, he says, I love you, and I love you not on some sentimentality. I love you not with some kind of sloppy kind of love or easy kind of love. My love for you is based on the revelation of the word of God that has taught me and has taught you, and we are connected not simply because we like the same team or we like the same thing. We are connected because of the cross of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Word of God. Truth, moral, theological, divine truth is out of reach for us apart from the grace of God. In our fallenness, Genesis chapter 3, we are all men most miserable. We are hopeless apart from the working of Jesus Christ on the cross. The gospel saves us and we love it, but it is far more reaching than simply the gospel or the salvific implications of the cross. We are miserable. John chapter 8, verse number 44, it says, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. You say, well, he's talking to the Pharisees. Yes, he is talking to the Pharisees, but he's talking to all of us in our condition of lostness. Without Christ. And so sometimes people get super irritated at the lost world and the democratic crowd. Or I was in Texas recently preaching and a, and a lady comes up to me. I'm sitting at a basketball game. I, a friend of mine's son plays on and, and she comes up. She goes, I hear you're from California. I said, yes, I'm from California. She goes, I hate that state. I said, I hate you. <laughs> I didn't say that. I wanted to, though, but Jesus wouldn't let me. I said, really, why do you hate that city? She goes, I can't imagine living in the same state as Nancy Pelosi. She goes, why is she like that? And so this is what I said. Well, I was talking to her earlier today, and, and I said, you know, ma'am, I said, I don't mean to be rude to you, but people without Christ, 
They cannot have the truth and they do not know the truth. They must have Christ in their life. The natural man receiveth not the things of God. And, and John is writing here and he's connecting his love to the people's connection with the truth. Without Christ, we are miserable. There is an expression of love that is tied to the truth. There's a Look at what else it says. Whom I love in the truth and not I only, but all they that have known the truth. The word all is that wonderful little Greek word pos. In its totality, completeness, oneness, it means everyone, the, the, the total, the whole. And John is simply affirming this, that, that all they that know the truth, the totality of those that love the truth, have a love for this lady and her children, or this church and her children. And, the real, and, and here's what he's trying to say, is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I love the truth, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you love the truth, then we love each other. And this is a reoccurring theme that John writes about. I'm not a big word study guy, but this is just repetitive in his epistles. First John chapter 2, verse number 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is an occasion of stumbling in him. First John 3, 10. And this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteous is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother for this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not the brother abideth in death. 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, verse 23, and this is the commandment that we should love, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. 1 John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 20 and 21, 1 John 5, 1, 1 John 5, 2, 2 John 1, 1, 5. Repeatedly, there's this idea that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to have agapo, goodwill, a desire of goodwill, love for those who are around you, who they too are followers of Christ and lovers of truth. So let's just bring it home a little bit. There's that person in this room that you just don't want to be around. And here's what you've said. Well, I love them, I just don't like them. That's a concept that's foreign to the Word of God. That's a concept. You say, well, I like somebody better than the other. That's a different story. You say, I just can't stand being around that person. That person makes me so mad. I despise that person. I want nothing to do with that person. That's a concept that is foreign to the Word of God. Are you saying, Pastor, are you then saying that as a Christian, I'm supposed to love all Christians? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Better yet, that's what the Word of God is saying. It's a requirement. It's a mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. What's the reason for the connection? Verse number two, 
For the truth's sake, I love you. They that have known the truth love you. Why? For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. He is referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit here who is in us the moment you got saved. Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit moved inside you and the Holy Spirit teaches us all things and he brings all things to our remembrance for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings these things to mind. If you can hate your Christian brother, if you can hate a Christian brother and you're not under conviction of it, John is saying that's evidence that you, you're not a believer. Why? Because believers love other believers. And sometimes in our hearts, I mean, we find it easy to play the game and put on the clothes and wear the ties and, and go to church and throw up the Bible and yell King James and, and do all those things. And all that's fine and good and need, needed to some degree to be done. I love it. But let me tell you, the mark of a believer is one of the distinguishing marks of a believer in the word of God is an internal love one for another. And what's the duration of this connection? And shall, verse number two, the end, and shall be with us for how long? Forever. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and I really wanted to preach today on the power of singleness. I really did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I love preaching to single people. I don't think you're less of a person because you're not married. You might just be smart. You might be dumb, too. I don't know. I'm just saying you might be. The jury's still out on that. But love is not a concept that's some emotional sappiness that's between a guy and a girl. Love is a biblical concept that I have one towards another, or that we have one towards another. Well, there's a desire here. He says in verse number three, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father and truth and love. There's a desire in verse number three for stability. We're working somewhere, so stick with me. We're gonna to come to this really cool end, in my opinion. It's, it, John ends this beautifully. There's a desire for stability. He says, grace be with you, mercy and peace. Grace is the favor and goodwill of God and, and, and Christ has been exercised towards men and, and mercy is, is, this is the only time that John uses this word in his writings and it is speaking of compassion and pity and the tenderness and the, the readiness that God has to forgive and the readiness that we're, have, we're supposed to have to some degree to forgive. Grace be with you, mercy and peace. Where? From God. Who is the source of grace? Who is the source of mercy? Who is the source of peace? It is God and he's writing to a church. Our churches are supposed to be marked by grace, mercy and peace. John points these out in verse number three, that they are from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I love Aiken's commentary on this verse where he says, to maintain a healthy and growing community, the church must exhibit a fidelity to truth that knows no compromise. They must love one another in a way that knows no boundaries. I'm not old. I'm older than many of you, but I'm not old. I'm 47. You say, how old is old? This year, old starts at 48. Next year, it'll be 49. I'm not old, but I'm not young. 
I have a lot of people and I hear a lot of talk about, hey, I like this guy in his position, this guy in his position, and I don't really like the old time religion concepts, and, and I'm going to maybe go in a different direction because these people were mean to me. Can I just stop? And, and I don't know if it'll help you. I hope it doesn't hurt you. My heart is to be an encouragement to you to say this, that the truth has to be the foundation of the church you are a part of. The truth of the word of God. It has to be unchanging. And you have to hold to it without compromise. Last night we had a members meeting, at a new members meeting at our church. Not new members meeting, at starting points class, people checking it out. And I dealt with 10 major doctrines. I dealt with things like why we use the King James Bible and, and our petition on eschatology, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial, all of that stuff. Um, we dealt with soteriology. We are non-Calvinistic in every way, shape, and form. And, and we had some people in, our, in that meeting that I knew disagreed with me. And this is what I said to them. You can disagree with me. And we said it really nicely. You could disagree with me, but you just have to understand, we're not changing our theology for anyone because it is rooted in the word of God. It is unchanging. We, we want grace, we want mercy, we want peace, but it must be settled in truth. It has to be truth. There's a lot of guys that I see that are your age, older, younger. And, and I'm not talking about doing things a little bit different or having jousting in a Bible college. I don't, that's fine. But I'm talking about denying the truth in an effort to be more well-received or more loved. And you say, I wonder who he's talking about. I'm not talking about anybody in a specific way. It's just in a general sense. We are called to be people who are followers, uncompromising followers of truth. But if that's not wrapped in love, you can seem draconian and like the world's biggest jerk. Grace, mercy, and peace are gifts from God. There are, grace, mercy, and peace are not existent apart from truth. You can't have them apart from truth. But guys... If you don't have a spirit of love and agapo and goodwill and a desire to help and a desire to be a blessing and a desire to encourage, then everything you do is simply sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. You're just banging a pan against one another. Oh, I've got truth. That's great. You got truth, but you've got no love. Oh, I've got all love, but I got no truth. John is saying these are perfectly woven together in the word of God. And as a pastor, as a staff member, as a missionary, as a ministry partner, as somebody who's simply helping, not all of you will be in full-time ministry, and that's totally fine. You're not a failure for not being in full-time ministry. You can be 100% successful. Just do what God wants you to do. You will either pastor a church or help someone pastor. And when you do, be a part of a church that is passionate about truth and boundless in their love. And that's what John's saying in verse number three. And he says in verse number four, and this is where really the, the, the big idea, Haddon Robinson would call it the big idea, others would call it the central idea. Some would call it the propositional statement. He says this, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. This is what brings true believers joy. 
I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking, walking. Present, active tense means living according to the revelation of the truth of the gospel. It gives the idea that what we believe is how we live. A lot of people just say what they believe. This idea is you talk about what you believe and you live what you believe. Or, or, or as Vance Havner said, we live, uh, what we live is what we believe. Everything else is religious talk. He's, he's saying here, I rejoiced greatly that I uh, have found thy children walking in truth as we have received or, or, or actively taken from the Father. You've taken this truth as a direct revelation. This is what John is saying. From the Father. The commandments of the Word are directly from God the Father, the creator of everything, the one who knows all. I rejoice, John says, I have joy in knowing that, that, that your children, that you, elect lady, and your children are actively living in truth. The truth that you have received from the creator of all, the God of the universe, the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins and has given us a book, a pattern on how to live, and you are living in that. And John says, I rejoice. Rejoice greatly. Word rejoice means occasion that brings joy greatly. You don't have to be a have a doctorate in Brother Adams in whatever language that says chai or kai or whatever you were trying to say to understand that greatly means exceedingly. Latin is not needed to understand that greatly means a lot. He said, I rejoice greatly that you are living in, walking in truth. What is truth again? It is that same word that he referred to in verse 1 and in verse number 2 and in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 that he refers to. And, and he's saying authenticity, reality. I rejoice greatly that you are walking in truth. So here's the big idea that John's trying to convey to us this morning. Here's, here's the, the, the whole construct of this that for us to understand that, that the thing that brings me the greatest joy is when the church that I'm a part of and have the awesome privilege and responsibility of pastoring, the thing that brings me the greatest joy is when they walk in truth. See, some of us say, I just, I just want everybody to be happy. Just want everybody to be happy. Your happiness is temporary. Your happiness, I'm kind of happy about that, but if your happiness is encapsulated in something that is wicked or wrong or ungodly or even less than truth, it ought not make me happy. It ought, cause me, ought to cause me great concern. The problem is it's temporary. And here's what John is saying. It just makes me happy to know that you're walking in truth. Or here's the big idea. Here's the propositional statement. When you walk in truth, I walk in joy. When you walk in truth, I walk in joy. Now listen, as a pastor, it's really easy to get wrapped up in being happy if the offerings are good. Or if the attendance is up. I'm a pastor, so basically I have pastor friends. And so I'll call guys, hey, how was yesterday? It was great. We had a great attendance and good offerings. Well, that's wonderful, but that's not really what should bring us joy. It's real easy to get all keyed up if the music was good on that day. And I love good music. And we work hard at Canyon Ridge to have really good music that is an encouragement and a blessing. I, I love good music. But that doesn't make it a good day either. Good offerings, good attendance, good music doesn't make it. The teenagers didn't burn down the church building this week. That makes it good. 
I like that. There were a lot of guests. That's good. Our missions giving is high. That's really good. But those are not the qualities or the quantifications of what it is to make a true disciple-making pastor, ministry leader happy. What is it? It's when you walk in truth. And I walk in joy. What brings me joy is you walking in truth. And the concept of walking in truth is not an external concept. The concept that John is referring to is an internal construct, that I'm gonna do what the Word of God says. This last week, we had Missions Commitment Sunday at Canyon Ridge, and our people, and we prayed a lot, and our church has a huge, we're, we're in the world's largest military town, San Diego has more military in it than anywhere else in the world, anywhere else in the world, and so, we have a huge number of turnover, and, and just about every missions year, we give to Faith Promise every year, and about every year, we have about 30% new people that have never heard about Faith Promise Mission. So we really talked to them. We had a couple of missionaries who were here this morning, great friends of mine. I hope you get to meet them. Uh, John and Mike, they're just doing awesome. They're, they're, they're awesome. Can't wait for them to get to the field. They were with us, and man, our people were, were stoked, and, and, and they were just having a good time, and we've been praying and working and teaching and training, and, and community Bible studies were teaching, and I'm preaching on it, and I'm teaching on it, answering questions, one-on-one -on -one conversations, prayer meetings, all of that stuff. And it comes to Sunday uh, and uh, people gave and man, I was kind of blown away by the total. And I just started talking to folks after service and person after person came to me and they're like, pastor, man, can I tell you something? I'm like, sure, you can tell me anything. And they said, pastor, Man, we are so scared about what God told us to give, but we know he's going to provide. And I would say, did you do what God told you to do? They're like, yeah. One guy said, Pastor, we, we like more than doubled our giving. And my wife normally panics. And she was so excited to see what God is going to do. And she was thrilled that God had guided her heart that way. And she just can't wait to live by faith this year. I'll tell you what, the attendance was good on Sunday. The music was awesome on Sunday. The preaching was good on Sunday, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Dwight Tomlinson spoke for us. I mean, everything was great. But the thing that brought me the greatest joy was not the good attendance. It was not the great offering, though that, those didn't discourage me. Um, it was not, not the wonderful music. It was not even the altar call. The thing that brought me the greatest joy was hearing testimony after testimony after testimony of person saying, I'm going to double, I'm going to triple, I'm going to quadruple my faith promise missions giving because I believe that's really what God wants me to do. And they had a pastor going, are you sure that's what God wanted you to do? Pastor, without a doubt, I know that's exactly what God wanted me to do. I'll tell you what, I went home on Sunday night exhausted, about to fall out, and I just couldn't have been more excited because of what God was doing. My joy needs to be wrapped up in the people that I shepherd following the word of God. When you walk in truth, I walk in joy. If your ministry is tied to performance or numbers or giving or the perception that you're doing great, you're going to be really frustrated because you're not always gonna perform well and the numbers aren't always gonna be great and the giving isn't always gonna be good. But when you find your joy in the people that you shepherd and lead following Christ, then the yoke becomes easy and the burden becomes light. I have no greater joy 
than children walking truth. It's easy to sit where we sit and this, hear a message like this and totally believe I'm preaching what the Lord would have me to preach. It's so easy to hear a message like this and go, yeah, we've got to follow the truth. Yeah, got to follow the truth. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be happy when they follow the truth. But here's the, here's the big deal. Are you following the truth? Here, here's, here's the big question of the day. Do you love the folks in this room? Is there bitterness in your heart towards somebody? Maybe just here? Maybe back home? Maybe a, sending, a pastor that sent you here? Maybe a parent? Notice how he ties in truth and love. They are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. If you're married here, it's really easy to get even bitter towards your spouse. It's easy to get upset. And John is writing and he's saying, hey, hey, when you walk in truth, I walk in joy. But the truth of the matter is this, that walking in truth is the hardest thing that you're ever going to do. And it demands the guidance, direction, and empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. And to love one another in this room demands the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And being yielded to verse number two, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, that Holy Spirit who is convicting and challenging and changing and molding and conforming us to Jesus Christ on a day-by-day -day basis. Are you living in the truth? Are you a lover of the truth? Are you loving one another in this room? Did you have that breakup with a guy or a girl on the college campus and, and you got hurt so bad that now you can't stand them? I mean, you don't want them to die, but if they did, <laughs> you wouldn't cry too bad. That friend that offended you? I'm firmly convinced of this. This may be the last time I ever preach at a college in my life. I have no idea. Maybe the last time I ever preach. I'm driving home through L.A. <laughs> but I'm firmly convinced of this that one of the reasons so many churches that have right doctrine are dead is because they don't have boundless love one for another. Well, I don't have to have that. I'm a theologian. Well, pretty boy, let me tell you something. The greatest theologian of all time was Jesus Christ. And he had a love that led him from heaven to earth to die for your sin and mine. God. And it all comes back to the gospel. When you're no longer in need of the forgiveness of God, maybe you'll have something to talk about. But you'll never be without need of the forgiveness of God in your life. You'll never be there. And my prayer for you this morning, and our staff's back home praying, and people are praying. I know you hear a message every day. I get it. It's awesome. Can I say this? All the messages in the world without truth. Let me rephrase that. All of the excitement in the world without truth is meaningless. And all the truth in the world without love is devoid of that essential character that we see in our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. When you walk in truth, I walk in joy. My greatest joy is to know that you walk in truth. I've got two daughters, 23 and 21, and I love them to death. 
Literally love them to death. Natalie's here. Judith was here last year. Love them to death. Love this college. Love all of it. But the greatest time in my life is when my kids and the people at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church are simply doing what the Word of God tells them to do, and they're doing it with a spirit of love and devotion to Christ. And that's our question today. When I walk in truth, when you walk in truth, I walk in joy. Are you walking in truth? And do other people's obedience to the Scripture bring you the greatest joy of life?